Oh, good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, this morning we're beginning a brand new series, and I'm so excited about this series. It's called Life After Life, and we're going to be talking about the truth of heaven and what heaven is really like. And there's not a lot out there, not a lot of people talk about heaven, but man, heaven is going to be better than we could ever dream or ever imagine. Now think about this. Every civilization that's ever existed has had some thought of the afterlife. I mean, you think about that, right? You think about the Egyptians and the pyramids. You think about, you know, King Tut's tomb and, and how they would bring everything in there because they believed the mummification process would keep them whole and that they would come back and be able to enjoy all the things that they had on this earth. But we know you can't take anything with you, but, but that was kind of their mindset. Or you think about the Vikings of Valhalla, or you think about the Romans and their thoughts of the afterlife, or the Greeks and mythology, and you could go through the list of every civilization that's ever existed. But every world religion has had some thought of the afterlife as well, and what happens to us after we die. And it's because it's inside of us, Right? We all know there has to be more to this life. We all know when you look at the solar system and you look at the order of things that, that, that this just can't be it. There is more to come. And so we all wonder about that. Uh, in fact, today, just Google, right, uh, heaven or songs about heaven, and you'll get all kinds of stuff. Like songs, right, stairway to heaven, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. You know, I mean, like heaven, I mean, like Los Lobos. I mean, it's just a, all kinds of people, Jay-Z and Beyonce, they've also recorded songs about heaven because down inside we all know there has to be more to this life and we wonder what it is. Now there's a lot of misconceptions out there about heaven. Some people believe when we die that we go to heaven and we're going to be angels, right? And we're going to be like, you know, plump and have a halo and play a harp all day. I mean, how boring could that be? I mean, it's like... No, that's not it at all. I mean, that's not what heaven is like. It, but that's what some people think. I remember being a little kid, and I would come home from church, and sometimes I would lay in my bed, and I would go, I don't want to go to heaven. I mean, it's going to be like eternity, and I'll get bored. I was kind of hyperactive, and I wanted to do something. And I'm like, that doesn't sound exciting to me. There's people that would say, you know, I don't want to go to hell, but at least my friends will be there, you know. And so it's kind of like, what? I mean, that's all these misconceptions out there about heaven. I have some friends, and they said, you know, growing up, we thought heaven was going to be one long church service. And they we would come in, and we would sit on pews, be one preacher after that. Now, I love church, obviously, right? I'm a pastor. But that sounds boring to me, okay? I mean, like, come on. But what is heaven really like? And here's the incredible truth. God tells us. God wants us to know. God's saying it's going to be better than you can imagine. It's going to be better than you can expect. And so God gives us his word and gives us his truth. So in this series over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about what heaven's like. We're going to talk about what we're going to do in heaven. Do you, do you know there were jobs to do before the fall? Like we're going to have stuff to do. And we're going to have things to do. And how awesome is that? We can reach our full potential. Do you ever do things and then you go, oh, I would love to do this, but I don't have time to do that. I got all this other stuff. Imagine having the time to do the things you really want to do. You know, in, in heaven, we're going to talk about what our bodies are going to be like because we get resurrected bodies. Praise God, that's going to be awesome, you know. I mean, we're going to talk about what in heaven, you know, is there marriage in heaven? We're going to talk about that. The Bible talks about that. We're going to talk about are there animals in heaven? We're going to talk about that because the Bible talks about that. So we're going to see some amazing truths that are going to come out about heaven. And what I hope this does is take away the misconceptions. Because I think those are lies from Satan. 
I think Satan comes and tries to give us these lies so that we don't get excited about heaven and we hold on to the things of the earth and we're like, no, this is it. But when we truly understand what heaven's like, then there, wow, there's a longing inside of us for home. <laughs> because heaven is our home. Heaven's where we're going to spend eternity. And it's going to be better than we could ever dream or ever imagine. So welcome to heaven. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open with me to the book of Revelation. So last book of the Bible, uh, you know, there's 66 books in the Bible. All 65 are leading up here to Revelation. And this is kind of the big last chapter uh, where everything unfolds. Revelation in Latin means revelatio. And it, it literally means to draw back the curtain. And that, that's what it means, right? And you notice it's not revelations. It's not like multiple revelations. It's one revelation. And it was given by God so that we would know what heaven is like. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's some Bibles in the back. Love for you to grab a Bible. It's free. It's yours. Keep it. Write your name in it. Uh, or maybe you've got a mobile device. You can access the Scripture online. Or we'll put the Scripture on the screen. But pick up here, Revelation chapter 1. It says in verse 1, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So this is a revelation that God gave to Jesus to say, hey, I want you guys to know. I want you to know what the end's going to be like. I want you to know what heaven's going to be like. I want you to get it. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, now who's John? Well, John was one of the disciples, right? He was one of the original 12 disciples that Jesus called. But not only was he one of the 12, he was one of the three. <laughs> it was Peter, James, and John that Jesus spent the most time with. He was one of the three. But not only that, but he was the one that's, that said he's the disciple Jesus loved. So he's kind of like Jesus' best friend. He was with Jesus. John was the only disciple that was at the cross. All the other disciples fled. John stayed. John went to the empty tomb. John was with Jesus. He saw the nail-scarred hands. He's with Jesus in Jesus' resurrected body for 40 days. John was there when Jesus ascends into heaven. John becomes a leader in the early church in the book of Acts. You'll see that. John is the one who wrote the Gospel of John and First and Second and Third John. And when God gives him this revelation, John is in exile on the island of Patmos because of his faith in Christ. So this guy has been with Jesus all of his life. And God reveals to him this truth. And I love what it says in verse 3. It says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. And so God's saying, hey, you're going to be blessed just by studying this, by understanding this. Your life is going to be blessed. So if you go into Revelation 2 and 3, it's Jesus' word to the churches. Now, there were seven kind of major churches back then. And Jesus has a word for each one of the churches because Jesus loves his church. He, he is all about the church. And you can go and read and to one church. He says, hey, you're doing some great things, but you've forgotten your first love. You know, come back to me, back to my heart. He talks to another church. He says, I wish you were hot or cold. You know, make up your mind. But, but you know, you've got to follow me. Trust me. So today we're going to dive into chapter 4. And so turn with me over there. But it says this, after this, right, after I heard this revelation to the seven churches, and I'm going to pass that word on to each one of those churches, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door. Now think about that. There before me was a door standing open in heaven. 
So God's like, hey, you want a little sneak peek? You want to see what's going on up here? Check this out. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what may take place after this. So he's getting a glimpse of this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carlin. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. Now, as you read the Revelation, some of it's literal, some of it's figurative. I believe this right here is, is figurative because the 24 elders represents the Old Testament and the New Testament. You remember in the Old Testament, there's 12 tribes of Israel, right? New Testament, 12 disciples. So you see the old and the new. You see the completed church. And they're there before the throne of God. So these 24 elders, they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. We just sang that. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. I represent the seven churches. These are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was like, the, like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Now, let me stop right there, because what this represents, right? You think about a lion represents dominion over all of the animals. Oxen represent dominion over all the cattle. They were a big agricultural society back then. You have the man, then you have the eagle representing, you know, the dominant male bird. So all of nature is there to worship. So you've got all of the Bible, the completed church, and all of creation coming together to worship. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy. Holy means to be set apart. Is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All of eternity. Well, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. Now let me stop right there because that's significant. You see, back in this day when there would be two armies that would battle, two kingdoms that would battle, you know, the, the losing king in an act of submission would come to the victorious king and the losing king would take and lay his crown at the feet of the victorious king. And basically, I'm submitting to you. I'm submitting to you. And so think about these 24 elders and they take their gold crowns and they're like, it's all about you, God. I'm submitting my life to you. You know, for all of us, we're going to worship something. All of us do, right? All of us worship something. And maybe, maybe it's money, or maybe it's success, or maybe it's another person. But in our hearts and our lives, that we come to the point where we worship God. God, I submit my life to you, everything for you and for your glory. That's when life truly comes alive. So they lay their crowns at the throne, and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So a couple of things I want you to see today for the text about heaven. Number one is this. 
is heaven is a place. If you're taking notes today, number one is heaven is a place. That's significant, okay? Uh, the Bible mentions heaven over 550 times. There's a lot of people who think, well, when I die, I become this disembodied spirit and I kind of float around from place to place and, you know, there's really no home and I'm just kind of out there. No, 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 no. Heaven is an actual place. I mean, God says, hey, John, check this out. Look, at, look inside here. Look what's happening here. The word place for heaven, Jesus said, I was going to prepare a place for you. And he's talking about heaven. That word is topos in the Greek, which is the word we get topography. And so you're going to see in the coming weeks, eventually there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. You think about the topography. You think about, you know, the glassy sea. You think about the river of life. You think about the tree of life. You think about all of this different topography, mountains and hills. It's an actual place. You also see this, that Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, right? That's where God is. Now, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And Jesus said to them in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. And maybe you're here today and you're like, that's me. You know, my, my heart's troubled. Uh, there's a lot going on in life. There's a lot of things that are happening. And, and I just, man, I don't, I don't feel at peace. I feel like there's chaos around. But, but Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So Jesus multiple times says, hey, I'm going to a place. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a very real, actual place. You remember when Jesus was crucified? Jesus was crucified, right, on the cross. And he was crucified between two thieves. He was crucified between two criminals. And one criminal over here begins to mock Jesus, right? And here's Jesus hanging on the cross, and this criminal over here is like, really? You know, you did all these miracles. You saved all these people. Why don't you come down off the cross right now? Why don't you save yourself and save us? And Jesus could have done it, right? He could have called down a legion of angels from heaven. He could have wiped out all the Romans. But Jesus willingly went to the cross for us, okay? So he's dying there. But the other criminal, the other thief, what does he do? He says, hey man, leave this guy alone. He goes, you and I, we deserve to be here. I mean, we, we sinned, we blew it, we messed up. This guy didn't do anything wrong. And he's on the cross. And then he says, hey Jesus, I get it. I get that you are the son of God. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Right, I'm submitting to you. You remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, right? You're going to die on this cross today, but today you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, that's powerful because what that tells us, number one, is this, is that when you die, when I die, we immediately go to heaven. If you are in Christ, right, you don't go to a purgatory. There's not a, hey, you kind of come over here and wait for a while or you come over here and get things figured out, get things right, or pay atonement for your sins over here after you die. No, it's immediately, when you close your eyes, you awake 
in heaven if you are in Christ. Today, you will be with me, and then what does he say? Paradise. Now, paradise in the Latin goes back to when, um, you know, King Cyrus, the Persian king, he would build these huge walled gardens that were immaculate. And so the Latin root word goes all the way back to that time to represent paradise, to represent this garden that was fantastic. If you look at the Greek of that word, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. And you remember in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when God created, and God created this beautiful garden, and the world was perfect, and it was awesome. And what does Jesus say? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. It's pretty incredible to think about. Um, you know, a lot of times we'll say to our family or friends when um, a loved one passes, or, and we'll say, you know, sorry about your loss. You know, but at, at real time, it, it's really not a loss, right, if they are in Christ. Uh, my dad went home to be with Jesus last year, and uh, I miss him. Uh, Friday was his birthday, and I, I miss my dad. But you know, my dad's not lost. I, I know exactly where my dad is. And my dad is in the present heaven, and I, I miss being with him on this earth, but I know I'm going to see him again one day. I know one day I'll die, and I'll close my eyes, but I'll awake, and I'll, I'll be in heaven with God and with my dad and with my loved ones and friends. We'll, we'll be there. It's not a loss. It's, hey, they went to the present heaven, and they are there right now. Sometimes we go, well, you know, I, I just can't see heaven, and so I don't know if it really exists. And you're like, well, you know, I can't see Switzerland right now, but <laughs> I don't have any doubt that Switzerland's there. I've been there. You know, it's, I, I, I can't see the wind. I don't have any doubt the wind's there, right? I, I can't see a lot of planets that are out there and stars that are out there. Now, when the Hubble telescope came back and we started seeing the galaxy, we're like, oh, wow, God, you are big, you know? There's no doubt. I mean, there is more than we can see. There is more out there than we can even imagine. Scientists estimate that there may be nine or ten different dimensions to the universe. So heaven is a place, and it's a place that we go if you're in Christ, immediately when you die. Second thing we see is this, is heaven is perfect. It is perfect. Think about this description in Revelation 4. Beautiful gemstones, throne, encircled. I mean, just the beauty, the light, the brilliance. I love how it says, you know, there was a sea that looked like a glass. A sea of glass. Uh, a while back, we took our family, went to Yosemite National Park. We, we love the national parks. But I remember being there, and there's called Mirror Lake. It is the most beautiful, tranquil place. And it's this lake that is so clear that the mountains just reflect off of it. And it looks like you're just like, wow. And I imagine heaven is just going to blow us away. But you think about the creativity of God. And then you just go, okay, God, you have at it. You know what I mean? With not the curse, with not the sin. It's going to be awesome. It's just going to be beautiful. It is filled with redeemed Christ followers. You think about the completed church. You think about being in right relationship with God, right relationship with one another. It's full of worship, right? I mean, Revelation 21 says no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. Wow. Praise God. I mean, we're going to have new bodies. That's going to be pretty awesome, right? It, it, it's the place that God dwells. It's the place that God dwells. It's the home of God. And you think about it, it's perfect, right? God is perfect. And so all the best things of life, all the best things of this world, all the best things that God created are there in heaven. 
It's an actual place for us. If you go over to Luke 16, Luke 16, Jesus tells this story, and it's, it's, it's a powerful, powerful story. And it, it says this, Jesus is talking here. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Now, this is the only story that Jesus tells where he names the guy. So Jesus is being very specific. Maybe he knew this beggar. Maybe he had seen him. We don't know. But this beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So you got this rich guy, and then you got this poor beggar guy. And the rich guy doesn't even think twice about the poor beggar guy. I mean, like, the beggar guy is, like, wanting to eat just what falls from the table. And this rich guy is all about himself. The rich guy is trusting in his riches. The rich guy is not submitting to anybody. He's not even helping anybody around him. He is just absorbed with himself. Well, the time came when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now, Abraham's side, what does that represent? Heaven, right? We studied Abraham this summer. And uh, it was amazing to see how God credited righteousness to Abraham because of his faith. And so here's Abraham in heaven. Well, the rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. And he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. So notice not disembodied spirits, right? There's tongue, there's finger. I mean, we have a body, a resurrected body there. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, there's actually a place, right? There is a place of heaven. There's also a place of hell. There is a place of separation. Now, intuitively, we know this, right? Intuitively, we know there's an epic battle of good versus evil. I mean, every one of our movies, every one of our, you know, novels, all the stories, Hollywood also always plays up this battle because it's true. We get this. We know there is good in the world. We know that there's evil. We know that there's Satan and there's a demon who wants to like war against us and keep us from God. But think about this. Here's what C.S. Lewis says in The Problem of Pain. He said, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it lay in my power. But it has the full support of Scripture and specifically of our Lord's own words. It has always been held by Christendom and it has the full support of reason. So let's reason it out. If heaven is the place where God dwells, right? Then heaven is going to have everything of God. And what is God? God is love. 
God is light. God is hope. God is peace. God is joy. There's going to be laughter in heaven. I mean, I love that. God, it's perfect. But you also have to think then, if hell is this place where there is not the presence of God, then what does that mean? Darkness, isolation, loneliness, fear. Now here's the thing about God. God doesn't want any of us to go there, right? God is so clear to say, hey, I love you. I've got a place prepared for you. I want you here. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 would tell us this. It says, but do not forget this one thing, verse 8. Dear friends, Peter goes, hey, don't, don't forget this. Please, if you remember anything else, don't forget this, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God says, hey, I don't want anybody to miss heaven. I want you to experience the goodness and the grace that I have for you. I want you to come to this perfect place. It's not God who sends anybody to hell. No, 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 no. We all deserve that because of our sin in our lives. It's God by his grace that allows us to go to heaven. And that leads us to point number three. Here's what we know. We know this, that we know how to get to heaven. Heaven is only accessible through the door of Christ Jesus. Heaven is only accessible through the door of Christ Jesus. Remember, John looked through this door coming to heaven. There's the door of Christ. Death is but a passageway to the life to come. So when we die, we don't move from death to life. We move from life to life. Death is simply the passageway for us. The Bible is very clear that the way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And the Bible makes that so clear for us that we can't do it on our own. We can't earn it on our own. And it's only by God's amazing grace that we have access to heaven and to his presence. Uh, John three sixteen, the most famous verse in the Bible, says this, for God so loved the world. Our God is a God of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, don't you love that? All people matter to God. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's God's heartbeat. Not that we die, that we have eternal life. I want to I show you uh, just a diagram on this. So God creates man, right? So here's sovereign God, and God in his sovereignty creates man. And now why did God create man? God created man for a relationship with him. In fact, if you ever wonder why you're alive, you're alive because God wanted you to be alive. God breathed breath into your lungs. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. God loves you. So God creates man, right? Sovereign God creates man. And in the beginning, it was great. I mean, Genesis 1 and 2, it was fantastic. God created man. He put man in a garden. It was beautiful. Man was in right relationship with one another. Adam and Eve get along. It was fantastic. Great marriage. You know, they were in right relationship with God. They would walk with God in the cool of the day. It was fantastic. I mean, it was awesome. But then what happens? Genesis chapter 3, right? Man sins. 
And God, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. God, I don't need you. And so all of a sudden, sin enters in the world. And there's this great chasm of sin. And we are separated, holy God, right? And now sinful man. And the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now that's not like revelation for you. I mean, we all know that. And we can run up in our minds some thoughts and some things we've done. And we're like, ah, I know that. But every major world religion does this. Every major world religion is about man trying to get to God. Except for Christianity. But every other major world religion is man, hey, if I can just get to God, if I can do enough good things, if my good can outweigh my bad, you know, if I can be good enough, if I can pray at the right time, if I can, you know, attend enough church services, if I can do enough good things. But the problem is, we'll never be good enough to get to God. This is like trying to jump over the Grand Canyon. You know, and I don't care whether you can jump, you know, five feet or whether you can jump 10 feet or whether you're Carl Lewis and you can jump 26 feet or something. We're never going to make it. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now here's where Christianity is different. Instead of man trying to get to God, Christianity is God coming to us. Praise God for that. And God, his sovereignty, and the only one who can make atonement for this sends his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who comes and dies on a cross and makes a way for you and I to have access to eternal life. It is by his grace that we are saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest no man should boast. How awesome is that truth? And for every one of us, there comes a point in our lives when we say, Jesus, I submit to you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I recognize the gift that you've given through Christ, and I enter in through the door of salvation through Jesus. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 Paul says this, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, <laughs> about people who are in Christ who die or, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. You know, you guys, I, I do a lot of funerals. It's not my favorite thing to do, but, but I do. But you can just tell a difference between a family when the loved one knows Jesus and between a family who they don't. And you're like, where's the hope? <laughs> Within other families, they're just like, you know, we're going to miss them, but, but we know we're going to see them again. We know because of heaven, and we know because of what God's doing, we know we're going to be with them again. We don't grieve as people who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Jesus conquered death. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now let me stop right there. This is what he's saying. He's saying one day Jesus is going to come back and step into this world and say enough. Enough pain. Enough suffering. You know the first time Jesus came in humility, he came as a baby. He came and he died on this cross. 
The next time he comes, he's coming as the victor. He's coming victorious. He's coming as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it says that those who've died already in the Lord will come with him. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. And after that, we who are still alive, if we're still alive on this earth, right, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And if I can encourage you in any way, it's this. Guys, we're going to be with the Lord forever. We're going to be with the Lord forever. And nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You hold on to that truth. You hold on to that fact that God is with you and God is for you. And your eternity is secure in Christ alone. Now every one of us, we're going to have to give an account of our life. Every one of us, when we die, and we will all die, the mortality rate today is 100%. So, I mean, we don't like to talk about it, but it's going to happen. It may not be, you know, for 20, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, but there will come a point that we'll close our eyes, and we'll open our eyes, and we'll see the face of God. And he's going to ask us this question, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And every one of us is going to have to give an answer. Was there a time that we said, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life? Not my parents' faith, not my church's faith, my faith. I submit my life to you. I want to find hope and joy and peace in you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I want to follow you. There'll be a second judgment that will come later on as Christ comes back in the new heaven and new earth where, where God's going to ask us, hey, what did you do with what you were given? You know, and we'll have to talk about, hey, what did I do? How did I live this life here? But God's preparing us to say, hey, I want to spend eternity with you. I love you that much. So where are you today? Not where's everybody else, but, but where are you? Has there come a time in your life where you've said, yes, Jesus, you are the Lord. I commit my life to you. Maybe today you kind of go, man, I've been living for earthly things. I've been kind of wrapped up in everything else. And maybe today God's just saying, hey, 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 focus on what's going to last Focus on eternity and what is to come. I'm going to invite our worship team to come and we're going to have a, a response time. We're going to have some of our A6 men. They're going to be up here on the front or on the sides if you want to pray with somebody or if you want to pray for somebody. I'm going to invite us to stand in just a moment after I pray for us. But guys, this is going to be an incredible study on heaven. And I want to tell you, a lot of people will spend time planning a vacation for a week and they'll spend time and money but we need to spend time preparing for what it is to come because it's eternity and it's going to last forever and ever and ever. So know where you are today and then let's reorder our lives to live for the things of God. So Father God, here we are, your people. And we've come together, God, to study what you say about eternity. I pray today, Father, if there's anyone here who, who's never confessed you as the Lord of their life, that today would be a day of salvation. Today, they would enter in through that door of Christ and that eternal life begins today. Father, thank you for the incredible truth that we will be with you forever. Thank you, because it's by your grace and your love that we receive that gift. So Father, speak to us right now as we worship you, as we respond back to you for who you are and for what you've done in our lives. 
And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and worship.